I'm not your guru. There's plenty of other people faking that status. I am a committed man willing to intentionally go to war with myself every day and share with you as I do it. These are the conversations I have with myself as I do the damn work today and along the way. So no, I'm not your guru, but I am down to be your guide. So let's ride. Imagine building up this unhealthy, monstrous identity just to prove yourself to the world as a man. What's up, y'all? My name is Donovan Owens, host of the Committed Man Podcast, where we help you feel superhuman. Now, that identity was a real thing that Mike Gonzalez was creating. Mike is a former uh, pro MMA fighter. Uh, It's turned out to be a good friend of mine. And I knew after hearing part of his story, I wanted to have him on the podcast because he created this monstrous identity so that he could be really good at fighting. But it turned out it, it led to him fighting internally in the rest of his life. And once he realized that he could find peace and not have to carry this load of who he needed to be and proving himself, it changed his life. And we're going to navigate a lot of his story. And I know in part of the story, you'll be able to relate to how you may be doing this in your own life. How are you creating an identity? How are you trying to prove yourself to the world in a way that's not healthy for you? And how can you still show up fully, but have peace of mind? Enjoy this episode. Hey, what's going on, y'all? Welcome to another episode of the Committed Man Podcast. I'm your host, Donovan Owens, and I'm here with my good friend, Mike Gonzalez. Mike, how you feeling today, man? Feeling amazing. How about you? sir. Hey, feeling great, man. Just had a great weekend with the family out at a a home that is just designed the same as our dream home and uh, got to rest and recharge a bit and uh, feeling great, ready for a strong week. Hell yeah. Great for you. Yeah. That's awesome. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, how about you, man? How'd the weekend go for you? It went great. Had a balance of uh, getting in some good training, solid workout, and most importantly, rest and rejuvenation. Cool. Hey, got to have that, right? Yeah. Got to have it. So I'm glad you're here today, man. Uh, I know you and I met through the Empowered Brotherhood and have had a chance to do some actual workouts together as workout partners. You've led a few of the workouts, taught us some of your amazing techniques with martial arts and our warmups. Um, and so just seeing you over the last few months, actually since January, uh, I knew I wanted to have a chance to have you on the podcast because there's some things that I know about you, which is, you know, I, I figure probably just a little bit. And, and it's just intrigued me enough to know that you're navigating this world as a committed man. And I wanted to learn more about that. And I know what you share would help a lot of other men. So I'm happy you're here today. Um, happy to be here. Cool. Well, let's jump right in, man. So tell me a little bit about uh, what what was exciting to you. I think we all have these hobbies and things that have our attention when we're young. Yeah. Uh, maybe like, in, you know, anywhere from five to 12 years old, there's this these fascinations that we have. What was that for you? Uh, fascination for me was just uh, being able to emulate what I see. So, like, I mm-hmm. watched a lot of, like, WWF. 
And like, mm. I would see like, you know, Stone Cold, The Rock, and like, I'll see like the Hardy Boys, and I'll see people do like extreme stunts. And I would just see it, and there's no, no doubt in my mind I could do it. So that would just be fun to like, you know, I lived in the Bronx, so me and my friends were like, you know, have the same wrestling matches we would see on TV, like in the lobby of the building. And it's just like, just being able to fun to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, no rules and just, you know, do exactly what you see and see that um, it's not impossible. It's just being able mm-hmm. to just remove all doubt and just know I could do that. That's an interesting, man. So the question that comes up when I hear that is, did that carry over into like how you thought about navigating life all the way through? Like anything I want to do, I can do or have you had doubts? Um, I, let me just back up. So is that, did that carry through your life up till this day? Yeah. Cause like, uh, you know, it was every single little thing that I saw where it's like, yeah, I watched WWF. And my ultimate favorite thing was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Dragon Ball Z. And I would like try to do those stuff too. And like, Everything that I did, whether it was uh, school-wise, you know, a test, or whether it was uh, sports, I played baseball when I was younger, or football, like, I, there's just no doubt in my mind that I could do it. So every time uh, I would have friends that they would have the mental block that they couldn't, that's something I never related to. That's something I never resonated with. It was just uh, just not doubting my abilities as to what's possible for me, which is why I naturally drew to having the nickname of Limitless when I decided to fight. <laughs> Beautiful, man. That's that's awesome. So what's it, what was it like growing up in the Bronx? It was, uh, it's different than it is now. <laughs> you know, I grew up uh, there, you know, during the 90s and it's just, um, I got into a bunch of fights all the time. And at mm. first I was bullied a lot because, uh, you know, I was a smaller kid. I was skinny. I was very athletic, but I wasn't the big kid. And then, you know, it was just at first being scared because, uh, you know, a lot of kids were bigger than me. I hung out with a lot of uh, older kids that were like already like 16, 17. Mm. And, um, you know, just you've reached the breaking point of just like, all right, enough is enough. And you just swing back. And, um, mm. you know, it took trial and error of, you know, getting my ass beat sometimes and then winning others. But it's just um, not willing to let the fear uh, overcome you. And just knowing that, mm. like, yeah, it feels shaky, but you either deal with that feeling the entire time or you just decide to just push through. And I just chose to push through. Mm. So was there a defining moment? Can you remember when you're like, all right, this is going to click. Like, I have to do something about this. I'm, I'm getting picked on. I'm getting beat up. Something's got to change. And then was there a defining moment that that happened? Yeah, there was one time where... um so I was on both ends. I was the kid that was bullied. I was a kid that was a bully. And like, um, I got to see like, there was a one time that there was this kid that was pressing me and I had my friends on one side and other people of the, the block on the other side. And everybody was just like watching, building it up. And like, I felt the, the nervousness of the anticipation of the moment and also you know, being ready to like protect myself. So I started like shaking a bit. And then that was pointed out. I was like, oh, he's scared, he's scared. And that was like almost like a defeating moment. And then there was, uh, you know, not too long after, there was this bigger kid in school that was bullying me. 
So then, uh, you know, he kept shoving me into the bus and then that feeling started to come up again. And then I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. And then I just punched him. And then, uh, you know, the fight happened, but that's when I got to show myself of like, you're either going to deal with the regret of not having done anything or mm. just know you tried your best. If it went your way, you, you know, went your way. And if it didn't, cool. Like, what's the feedback you learned from it? But don't ever stand in that doubt of what could be. Mm. Powerful lesson. Yeah. So when, when did you end up leaving the Bronx? I ended up leaving the Bronx uh, around high school. So I did my freshman year in Manhattan in the School of Graphic Communication Arts. And then I went to Stroudsburg, PA to finish out my high school. Okay, cool. And then after that, uh, after high school, what happened? Did you go going to college? What was next for you? So I actually didn't want to go to college because I was not a fan of school at all. I don't like being told I, what to do. I never do. I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> so like um, my initial thought was like, okay, the idea of working behind a desk, like that was like an ultimate fear of me because I equated that with just like living a life of being told what to do. And uh, so... A lot of my family members uh, went to the military, some in the army, some in the Marines. So because of, you know, how I grew up of like making myself conquer that fear and go through that fear, I always wanted to do whatever the hardest thing was so I can prove it's not as difficult as everybody said it was. Mm. So I was like, all right, well, I don't know what I want to do. Um, I guess I'll go to the military. And then everybody kept saying, like, oh, the Marines is so hard. You want to go to the Marines? I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to go to the Marines. And, like, I, you know, was in preparation for it. I was at the top of, like, so they have, like, the recruiting class. And you do some workouts leading up to it. I was at the top of that. And right before being uh, shipped out, I broke my wrist playing around my friend's uh, football. Mm. So then um, I had the choice of waiting till I got the surgery because it was like a small bone in my wrist and I knew it was going to take a year and a half to recover. They needed to take a piece of my forearm, put it in the bone and screw it together. Mm. I did not want to wait. When I make a decision, I just want to just conquer it already. But I learned there's some patience you have to add to that. But at the time, I didn't have that. So I just wanted to just uh, rush through. So I decided to just go through and... um, I went through the first few weeks of boot camp and I decided to go to Paris Island because once again, you don't want to go to Paris Island. It's crazy hot. It's the hardest place you could go to. Cool. That's what I want to do. So I went there and same thing. I was breezing through everything, conquering everything they threw at me. And then they got to the time of doing the uh, pugil sticks, which is like the big Q-tips they see like on the, on the American Gladiator. Yeah. So it's supposed to simulate your rifle and to use it if you run out of bullets. And um, at the time, my grandmother uh, recently passed away and my senior general instructor knew it. So when he saw me go in, he was like, remember your grandmother, tap into that and Mm. bring out your absolute best. So I had like an extra mm, going into that. And then going into it, I blocked and it bent my wrist right, right where it broke. And then I felt it break a little more. And then I finished out the round and I won. Uh, And then, side note, 
there's not really much out there treat-wise. So when you win, you either get a Hall's cough drop because it's cherry flavored or a power bar. So that's like your treat. <laughs> so I decided wow. to go with the power bar. Yeah, there's nothing else. Okay. <laughs> okay. So then, um, but then I realized I broke my wrist and like all I could do was wiggle my fingers. I couldn't move my wrist at all. So I had to tell my drill instructors and that's when I got to see there's levels to people because when you're there, the drill instructors have this facade of being like, you scary men, you don't want to get on their bad side. They're constantly yelling at you, which is what they're supposed to do. But once I expressed to them like, hey, like I'm hurt, I can't do anything. I got to see the human side of them. And then they were mm. like compassionate and they were trying to get me to say, they're like, hey, you're on track to be like the guide. And the guide is the person that leads the whole platoon. And they were like, you know, you're, you're doing great with everything. We just needed to make adjustments with, you know, some of the attitudes, because again, I don't like being told what to do. <laughs> and then they were like, um, is there any way you can modify? And then I was like, hey, I've been modifying everything without you guys knowing. Like I've been doing knuckle push-ups. I've been doing adjusting my pull-ups. They're like, we had no clue. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> and then mm. like um, uh, once they realized that there was no coming back, they kind of guided me through the way of um, – being shipped out without getting in trouble medically wise because I lied going in saying I was 100% healthy. So um, then after that, I was just like, all right, cool. I'm going to heal for a year and a half. What am I going to do? And I was like, I guess I'll go to college because I know my parents ultimately wanted me to go to college anyway. So then um, I went to East Strasburg University until I found out nobody knows what East Strasburg University is. <laughs> I, I was going to ask you, where, where is that? <laughs> exactly. I figured like, oh, it has university at the end. People will know what it is. No. Every time I said, oh, I go to East Strasburg University, ESU, no clue. Okay. So then I would visit some of my other friends uh, that I knew from high school at Penn State. Every time I mentioned Penn State, everybody would be like, oh, that's a great school. Oh, Penn State. And I was like, oh, okay. If I'm going to put my time into something, it's going to be worthwhile. I'm not just going to mm. go to school for the sake of going to school. It's going to have a purpose and a name behind it. So I was like, all right. So I made the decision. I'm going to go to Penn State. And it was like in the middle of the semester. So the way I got in was actually through my art portfolio. So I don't like going to school, but if I'm going to be there, I might as well do something I like. So I did art. Mm. And then uh, I used my art portfolio, got accepted to Penn State. And I was able to finished in one shot and graduate in uh, 2010. Damn, what a journey, man. What a journey. <laughs> we're not even we're not even to some of the, the, the stuff I really want to cover. So, <laughs> yeah. all right, so art. So, so what got you into the art? Uh, what got me into art was just, um, ever since a kid, that was just something I've always loved doing. And I think it was from watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Dragon Ball Z. Like, I love the animation and the details and the colors. And that was also a way of, like, um, me expressing myself and me expressing, like, my imagination and how I felt. And, like, you know, I wouldn't really talk about how I felt. Most of the time, I'd probably mm -hmm. get in trouble or hit about it. <laughs> so then, okay, I'm just going to be to myself. And at, for a decent amount of time, I was the only kid. So... I'll either play with toys or I'll just draw. And draw was just like, there, there was, there's no limit to how I express my imagination. And it was just cool to see my progress as to like how what I'm drawing looked like what I was watching. 
Mm. So you mentioned something that just caught my attention and it kind of went past it real quick. So we, yeah. we, you said if you express yourself, you're going to get in trouble or hit about it. Was that like mm-hmm. just in your community you grew up in or is that like a, uh, was that a family thing? A uh, family. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And so I can imagine just hearing that, that there were some rough situations going on in the household. So how, how did those situations shape the man you are today? Um, don't complain. I don't complain about nothing. Mm. And all the time that you've known me, you have never heard me complain about anything. It's just because um, uh, first it started with the whole concept of like, don't cry or else I'm going to give you a reason to cry about, which I'm sure a decent amount of us have heard at some point or another. And then um, uh, although it sucked in that moment to hear that as a kid, but it's good because it developed the idea of like complaining kind of gets you nowhere. Complaining kind of causes more discomfort. That's how I equated it. Mm-hmm. And um, so now it shifted my perspective towards like, it's really no point in complaining. You know, it's, it, it kind of is what it is. How can you shift it towards something else? Something that will be in your favor. Because the same way it's like either uh, if if you cry, I'll give you a reason to cry. Cool. It's kind of like you're doing the same thing by complaining. You complain. Okay. You're going to give yourself a reason to complain. Mm. So when it comes to like a man having emotions and being able to feel and, and mm-hmm. articulate those feelings to somebody and, and share and express, yeah. did, did any of those experiences in your household ever shut that down as far as like getting into your adult life? Or did you have to like bring that back up again or how do you how do you navigate that because yeah. if it's if did it just turn into i don't complain or did it turn into i don't show any emotion i don't feel anything i don't express these things how was uh, it? At, at first it was that at first it went all the way to the extreme of like all right well i'm not going to express the discomfort that i feel I'll, I'll shut that down completely and then it wasn't until i got to see um the results that that brought of not being able to truly express how you feel. So um, I found the balance of, um, although I don't complain, I can express the feedback I'm getting from life. Oh, gotcha. I got you. Okay. This is, it's interesting to hear you explain this this way. So, because I know, some of your history is you got into being at some point you ended up being a professional MMA fighter. Right. Yeah. And so you went from being bullied as you were young to finally throwing your first punch and realizing that if I'm going to be in the situation, I'm going to have to learn how to do something about this to having what sounds like some pretty challenging situations in the household that could also shut down your feelings and change the way you think about the world. And then ultimately getting into being a professional MMA fighter. So how did that come about? Um, The way that came about was uh, I've always known I wanted to do martial arts. I've always loved martial arts. My pops put me into karate when I was younger, but it wasn't anything legit. It was just like, you know, keep the kids busy, chop here, chop here, you know, (laughs) nothing really legit. Um, But it was my... Uh, the week before my, the week of my graduation at Penn State, I was in my apartment changing channels 
and then I came across uh, UFC on this very low budget channel. I was just like, it, I didn't even know this was an option. Like, I didn't even know this was a sport. And then like, once I saw it, like, I made the decision, like, that's what I'm going to do. Mm. And then I started searching. Although I didn't train, I knew how to go about finding a good place to train. Like, you know, tracing the, the lineage, making sure the the legitimacy. And what what really drew me to fighting was just, like, I get to kind of combine everything where it, I combine my skill of being able to emulate what I see, which I've been doing since a kid. And also through art because of I'm doing the same thing of like, okay, I'm seeing the animation of these cartoons and I'm emulating it in my version. So I'm paying attention to different details of things. And also it was um, a way of, I could channel the anger that I felt inside for so long. And it was a way I could make life fair. A mm. lot of times I felt like life was unfair. And this was the way I could make life fair. Now there's no interference from outside. It's just me and you. And 100% the training is on me. 100% the outcome mm. is on me. Everything is 100% on me. So that's something that really drew me to fighting. Oh, make life fair. Um, all right. So look, so when you got into fighting, do you feel like at, at the beginning there was a healthy approach to the journey that you were going to go on to being, being an MMA pro fighter? Um, the intentions were well, but when I do something, it's all or nothing. So I went, 100% like pure obsession. And then over time, um, I got to see how that started to mold into like this monster with an insatiable hunger. Because mm. I was already training like a professional long before I started fighting. I was mm. doing seven days a week, every single class for the first three years and competing a lot. And jiu-jitsu because I've done team sports and I needed to learn what it was like to compete by myself. So I did a lot of jiu-jitsu competitions on my own. And I had to figure out and teach myself um, the mindset that it takes to compete. And, you know, deal with like, okay, I tried every single possible way. I tried, uh, when I first did it, there was some nerves. I tried doing it angry. But then mm. I was I wasn't focused on what I was doing. It was just almost like a fire out of control. Then I tried being calm. But then I was too calm. I tried over and over and over and over. And um, I had great I had like great sense of uh, success. But anytime there was even like one defeat, even if it was by a, a point or an advantage, and I dominated, but it was just that last second. I would be so heavy on myself and like you would think like the the worst thing happened to me. Like I would seclude myself. I would I would be so hard on myself because of that loss because my expectation was insanely high. It made me great. But like I said, I started to see towards the end the monster that was created from that. 
So you mentioned these mindsets that you that you went through to try to find what it was that would make you successful. What did you land on? Like what what became like the consistent mindset you got into going into these competitions? Um what what I got from it was being completely immersed in the present moment. Nothing else matters than what's in front of me. Not what's going to happen, not what has happened. Right here, right now, what's happening. And bring my my 100% best self to that. And then in preparation for it, setting my intentions each and every day leading up to it for how that would look. Hmm. So removing myself from the outcome and letting my focus be this moment, 100%. When I hear you say that, that sounds like a very healthy approach to almost anything in life. Yeah. But what I know, because I know some of your story, is that this whole identity that you took on being a fighter started to become unhealthy. And so Mm -hmm. even with this mindset you just talked about, there were unhealthy parts of what you were doing. So what was it that created the unhealthy identity in the fighting world for you? Uh, What created that identity was um, nothing was ever enough. There was nothing I did that was ever enough. So that's why like, I kind of related to like this monster I created that had this insatiable hunger. So from the second I started training and this was like the end of 2010, 2011, all the way until like a recent two years ago, um, I wouldn't do anything. No birthdays, no visiting anybody, mm. no vacations. If I wasn't training, uh, if I wasn't training, I'll be watching interviews or I'll be watching film or I'll, I'll, I'm improving mentally or physically or energetically. I'm improving some ways. There was no room to do anything else other than improve because I was so mm. fixated on my definition of what a champion is. And a champion has to conquer every single person that stands in front of him. So there is Mm -hmm. no time to do anything else other than to constantly prepare. And everybody that I looked up to, and uh, one of my main favorites was Tyson. And what I liked about him was the fact that he was open about the fear that he felt. And there's videos of him crying before fights. And then you get to see like who he kind of transforms into on the way to the ring. And it was just, you know, a constant thing I would hear is just be constantly prepared for battle, be constantly prepared for war. And I internalized that and I was always ready and I kept increasing. Like I said, before I even started fighting, I was already training as a professional. So it got to a point where that wasn't enough. And I kept adding more and adding more and adding more, which which is why I didn't have time to hang out with anybody or do anything. A lot of times... Family and friends would actually be happy if I got hurt because that would be the only time they would see me because I wouldn't be training. So they're like, I know it sucks, but kind of happy you had this injury because I get to see you now. And like, you know, anytime I did anything where it's like I would see somebody or I hang out with them, I'll be smiling, but in my mind, I'd be like, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be here. I should be doing something else. And, um, you know, the one time people really got to see me is when I tore my ACL, partial MCL, and meniscus. And Damn. I was out for nine months. That's when people saw me the most, but that was when I devoted 100% to the mind. 
and I got to level up in a whole significant way. Okay, because I was going to ask you what was uh, how long did this phase of this this unhealthy identity last, and what was the turning point? It sounds like that was it. No, the the identity lasted the whole time, but it's just there's moments where I saw the benefit of so there's like you know just good and bad to everything, and like I got to see the benefit of what I was doing. But then there's times like it will go out of control. So it's like me training is great. Me training, but like seven days a week for for three years and then going six days a week. The only reason I went from seven days to six days was because I did a seminar with this world champion jiu-jitsu. And then I don't ask questions about technique if I ever do a seminar. I always ask about mindset if I'm trying to get to where you are because I want to understand what got you there. The technique, mm. I could learn that anywhere. I could watch a video and do that. But what got you there? And then he mm. asked me, he's like, how much do you train? And then my instructor at the time was like, well, he's here all the time. <laughs> and he said, well, that's great. Um, make sure you have at least one rest day so you can be fresh for training. That's the only reason why I did six days a week. And then mm. even then, I still sprinkled in some seven. <laughs> yeah. But it's just... Um, uh, I would, I would be aware of how this is benefiting me, but I only saw one way to apply it. And its only purpose was for fighting. My only purpose was for fighting. So it wasn't until like after, after I stepped back and I retired that I got to see, oh, I got to apply this to all areas of my life. Before that, my only purpose in existing was fighting. Hmm. Okay. And that insatiable appetite, right? That, that mm -hmm. drive that you had, that focus, uh, what did it lead you to? Like what successes did you achieve in your pro fighting career? So I won multiple tournaments in jujitsu. Uh, I am now a second degree black belt in jujitsu. I was an amateur champion in, uh, in MMA. And then I fought uh, professionally in MMA as well. Okay. So that's, you know, the, the things I got from it. Is that one of your belts behind you over there? Yeah, it's one of them. I have another one there, too. Yeah, <laughs> legit. Legit. So why did you decide to retire, man? Uh, it was actually COVID that put things into perspective for me. Because mm. I was, um, like I said, building off of momentum. So from one year to the next, I would add more fights. And the way my style is, it's... I hit without getting hit. So there's times I would fight and people see me the next day and they'd be like, oh, you got a fight coming up. Like, when's it happening? I'm like, oh, I fought yesterday. I just don't take any damage. So I took advantage of that. And there's, you know, I would fight three times in a year, four times. By the time COVID came, I was set to fight six times in that year, which meant I was in constant fight camp. Mm. So um, even when I found out about COVID. So I don't watch the news or anything. I'm locked into what I'm doing. Uh, I found out about it. And then they said, uh, you know, lockdown was going to happen. I didn't even care about myself or my well-being. My initial thought was, I'm going to find a way to train throughout this, no matter what. And then things just lined up where my instructor wanted to do um, this jujitsu like show where he's doing techniques live to help those that were 
stuck at home. And me and my teammate were able to help him. Like he would use my teammate for a demonstration and I would record. And then I was like, cool, that's my way to train. And, mm. but I didn't have the same training schedule as I'm used to. I'm used to training multiple times a day. Now I only get this one training session, which is great. I can maximize time. Uh, but now I have the rest of the day to myself. And then, you know, there's, yeah, I would watch these interviews and I would still watch technique, but I have more time to myself and I got to realize that I wasn't happy. I just wasn't happy, but I was, I built up this momentum so much that I, so I couldn't notice that I wasn't happy. Mm, I see. And so I was like, I didn't realize I was purposely distracting myself with the mission. And it seemed like it was a good thing until I realized, oh, this is what I've been doing this whole time. And I started to notice that, like, I would hear my instructor, like, you know, he's he's a phenomenal instructor. You know, uh, Carl Pavick, Silver Fox BGJ in, in Jersey, He there's a point of the year where he's doing seminars around the world. And vicariously through him, I would be visiting these areas that he's, you know, doing these seminars in. And I would think to myself, like, damn, that would be awesome to be able to to see different parts of the world. And I realized that's something that I wanted to do, but I would never allow myself to do it because I have a mission. There's something I need to mm. do. And then I started to realize that, like, no matter – that's when I started to see that, like, no matter what I did, nothing was ever enough. There's pictures of me – with the titles that I won and I'm not smiling at all. My entire corner is smiling. I'm not smiling at all. And then I remember vividly my instructor would see me. He's like, yeah. And I'm, and he'll see my face. He's like, smile. You just won the title. Be happy. I'm like, yeah, but I did this wrong. I did this. And I dominated the fight. But in my mind, I'm like, I did this wrong. I did this wrong. Could have done this better. He's like, yes, we can worry about that tomorrow. But right here, right now, you won the title. I'm like, yeah, but. I should have won better. I could have mm. done this better. Why? Like, and then like, you know, he will have to like shake me out of it, but it's still, no matter what, like wasn't enough. And then I would hear during the lockdown that there were people that were severely depressed, people that would commit suicide because they're locked in all day. I personally did not notice anything different from lockdown to my day-to-day life. I did not even notice like, if I didn't hear that there was a lockdown, I personally wouldn't know that we were in lockdown because I would go training and I would go home. Okay. So yeah. it wasn't until, like, I got on the highway and there was nobody. I'm like, oh, something's happening. Something's different. But. So you were that, that locked in. That was that. You were locked, that locked in, the focus. Since 2011. Since 2000, end of 2010, 2011. All these years. And then, um, you know, then. I started to see that like fighting was my way to cope with the fact that I wasn't happy. And I started, as I was doing, I started to do uh, self-development work. And I started to see that like when I would do these hard training sessions in order to kind of push past, that's when I came up with, uh, you know, having the nickname of Mike Limitless Gonzalez, because that will be the alter ego of myself of like limitless, where it's like, I'm limitless, powerful, beyond measure. I have um, infinite energy, infinite cardio. I could just push through whatever it is that I'm doing. 
And then also I will have to tap into past pains. And the past pains would kind of give me that extra push to finish the training sessions. And I started mm. to realize there was no way I could let go of those past experiences because I was using them as fuel. So mm, that means I'm constantly carrying pain with me. So all I knew was pain. And in preparation for fights, in order for me to do what I do, I needed to, I had the ritual of two weeks out from a fight, I would start to turn off my emotions. And the reason being is I can't feel bad if I pop your arm. I can't feel bad for putting you to mm. sleep. I can't feel bad for hitting you, hitting you with intention. So two weeks out, I'll start to turn off my emotions and I will let my teammates know, hey, I'm in preparation for something. I'm going to go at a different gear. If I get something, tap fast. And my my preparation for that was like, if I don't feel bad for my teammate, I'm not going to feel bad for you when I fight against you. And if I have those intentions going in, I'm not afraid of you having those intentions towards me because I'm too busy having that towards you. So I'm not, the fear of my opponent is not even there. I'm concerned mm. about what I'm bringing to the table. So like, what with me having more fights throughout the year, that means my emotions never turned back on because I was constantly in fight camp mode. So my emotion, it got to the point where like I didn't feel anything. I was numb. I was either um, angry with some bits of like depression from not feeling any other emotion or just not feeling anything at all. And I was just in constant preparation for this is what I have to do. This is what I have to do. And it's a different space to just not feel anything. And uh, that's when I started to think like, okay, might be anxious thinking just to make sure it's not anxious thinking because I don't want any outside interference to influence how I move, how I think. I'm going to take a fight and prove to myself it's not anxious thinking. So I took a fight at the towards the end of like lockdown and it was like a limited crowd and I couldn't even do striking because my striking gym was locked down at the time. So I just had my teammate hold a pad and I did my own striking in preparation, took the fight, dominated the guy, still felt the same way. Wasn't enough, wasn't happy. And I still felt numb. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to take 2021 differently. I'm going to take mm -hmm. an actual, uh, an additional day off. And uh, my day was Saturday. And it took about a month for me to actually take the day off because I would take the day off, feel bad about it. And then I'll have to do seven days the next week to make up for it because it wasn't enough. That's right. That's and then right. I got to actually take Saturday off, felt the same way. And then I was like, okay, well, let me try a week. I tried a week off, felt the same way. And then my instructor saw me and the thing is, at that point, although I was feeling nothing, I was running purely on discipline. So to the outside world, everything is going great. I'm handling everything and I'm leveling up technique wise. So like people are seeing my progress and how good I'm getting. It's just like, wow, I'm like, you're getting so good. I'm like, yeah, but inside I'm feeling nothing. I'm just doing things because... This is, that, this is the agreement I have with myself, and we're going to do this. We're going to prepare. We're going to take this class. We're going to do this. Uh, and then my instructor saw me. He was like, you look burnt out. I was like, yeah. 
And he was like, I, I was like, I tried taking a week off. He was like, you got to change up the scenery. You got to do something different. So like, I'm doing a, a seminar in Iceland. Um, you should come with me. So like, all right, cool. And at this point, I'm like, why not? I tried, I'm trying all these other things. Let me try something different. So then I went with them and on the plane, I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to be able to see other places. I want to be able mm. to like enjoy my day and look forward to things and like have fun. And then, um, I went there and it was cool. Like the thing was, you know, my instructor would show me some places, but because he's there for a jujitsu seminar, I would still end up having to train because, you know, he's there to teach and then there'll be this line of people that would want to train with him. But he's like, he has, uh, he was born uh, with uh, sclerosis. So his back is a little jacked up. So to keep him fresh, I ended up going with the, the people that want to train with him. And of course, being one of his black belts, I have to uphold the, the standard for the academy. So I still had to put it on to like some people and like, so I never got to like separate from training. The training still followed mm -hmm. me. And then like the numbing feeling started to come back again. But then he, you know, the amazing guy that the amazing guy that he is, he was taking me sightseeing and showing me all these different things. And I'll just be like, wow, like these are things like I've never seen. Like all I seen was like the city life in the Bronx and then, you know, something you know the suburbs in pa and something similar in jersey so like tri-state area i'm seeing the same things all the time i'm actually seeing the world here and say like, this is cool like this is awesome and then the thought came of like what if you retired and before i would never even allow myself to put those words in that order to complete a sentence that way mm. and then i was like i realized it was more scary to retire than to continue fighting. And the mm. reason I fought was to conquer my fear. Because there's no feeling mm. like going into, into the unknown in front of everybody watching, fighting somebody you don't know in the place you don't know, and you don't know what the outcome's going to be. So if I have the fear of retiring, I was like, well, it seems like I'll be conquering my fear if I keep fighting, but nobody would know I'm running away from my fear of what's on the other side of retiring. Wow. And I would never be okay with having that in the back of my mind because that means I'll be scared all the time. So I decided to retire. I decided to face that head on. And I sat with it for some time and I saw the, the the feedback I was giving myself, which is like, okay, jump into the unknown. See, see what's on the other side of this. Because what I, what I see that's common with a lot of fighters that just can't hang it up. I mean, you'll see, you've seen Roy Jones and he's still boxing for some reason. And it's just like, but the thing is, like, when you've dedicated your life to this, it's almost like, who are you without it? Mm. And it's like, what is life without it? And that's a scary thought of like, this is all you know. And if you just let it go, then who are you? And it's a scary thought. So it's just like, okay, I'm willing to see what that is. 
And the other thought was, is it wasted potential? You're lined up to go towards the UFC. You've put everything in the position to go towards the UFC. You're the best at what you're doing. You're the best at where you are. Is it wasted potential if you just retire now? And I had to sit with that and be okay with the decision of like, but I want to face this fear and see what this fear is about. I feel like there's a reason I have to go this way because if I navigated my life towards conquering fears, this is a fear. I'm being pointed in this direction for a reason. Mm. So I pulled the trigger, did it. And that was the feedback I got from people. So some people were supportive and a lot of people were like, damn, wow, you're so good. You're like right there. Like, why? And I was just like, I, by that point I was okay because I already sat through that with myself before I even mentioned it to anybody. So that really didn't disturb my, my equilibrium. So that was like my path towards deciding to retire. So I think you went through something that I call receiving mastery messages, right? So some people call it intuition, whatever it may be, right? I like to call them mastery messages because I feel uh, as men, especially listening and taking action on these messages that we receive uniquely, we're the only ones who receive them the way we do, that we have an obligation to take action on them to see where it's guiding us. So what did you discover was the guiding reason why it was time for you to retire? Um, I realized that I was trying to prove myself through fighting. I was trying to prove myself to the world, to myself, that I was just worthy of existing. Mm. And it's just, um, and that's why, like, I, I wasn't happy with anything. It was just like, well, I'll be happy once I get this. It was just like, it was in a constant state of proving. And now I'm in a space of like, there's absolutely nothing I have to prove to anybody. And one thing I got, uh, I did a meditation. I believe it was the same day I made the decision to retire. And there, there was like a, a voice that I heard that just said, share everything you got that you've learned uh, through fighting and just share that with everybody. And in doing so, it put me in a position to be able to uh, guide people at certain moments and help them make some massive shifts in their life. And that brought me a feeling that I almost forgot. It was like my first few wins at MMA, my first few wins at Jiu-Jitsu were like, I got actually happy and like being able to help people in that way is like one of the best feelings because I know what the opposite end of that is like. I know what that hopelessness and powerlessness is like. So to see people shift and get on the other side, like that feels amazing to me. So good, man. Yeah. So what a journey, man. What a journey. (laughs) So what has you excited about life right now? What's going on for you? Uh, Honestly, I'm in the space now of utilizing that presence from moment to moment that I got from needing that to perform to now that's how I live my life. So with every single thing I'm doing, like this right here, right now, 
nothing else is more important than me talking to you right here, right now. And then being that engaged in this moment, I get to really get in return what the moment is offering because I'm giving my all to this moment. So I get to get mm. my all in return. So I'm absolutely, truly, genuinely enjoying my life moment to moment. That's great, man. Well, dude, I appreciate you being here to share. I feel like there's so many defining moments for anybody listening to this, any man listening to this to be able to say, you know what? I can see how identities can shape the way we do things, how past issues. I know the word trauma is thrown around greatly now. I don't even like using it. It's just we, we go <laughs> yeah. through these challenges, issues, obstacles that we have to uh, find a way to overcome or they shape who we are in a, um, a way that's not healthy for us. Uh, you've, you've explained all of that in your journey. So last question I have for you is what does it mean to you to be a committed man? Uh, to be a committed man is to be committed to your experience. A lot of times mm. we get caught up in the idea of being committed, taking others into consideration, but it's in letting go of the idea of trying to save others. If you're committed 100% to yourself, that means you're bringing your absolute best self to every single moment. So every single person that crosses your path is going to feel what that is like, and you're going to encourage them to do the same. That's the powerful effect of being committed. Yes. Yes. Ah. Uh. So good, man. So good. Look, that's that's the beautiful way to end. And <laughs> I want to appreciate you for showing up the way you do. It's been a pleasure getting to know you over the last seven or eight months now. Um, I know we still have a lot more to connect on and a lot more life to do together. So, uh, yeah, man, keep showing up the way you are. I acknowledge you. I see you. I'm grateful for you and uh, appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you. Much love and appreciation for you as well. More than happy to be here with you. For sure. All right, y'all. This has been another episode of The Committed Man. Make sure you share this, like this. There's a message in here that's going to serve yourself and another man that you know. Um, we can't do this without you getting the word out. So uh, we'll see you on the next episode. We appreciate you. Peace. <laughs>